Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 80 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wael. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Uh, Now, this podcast is for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are studying the religion of Islam, or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Uh, Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will talk about the Umrah, that the Muslims were supposed to, you know, perform during the the, the, the peace treaty, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, but Quraysh, remember, they refused, and they said uh, that at least uh, you have to wait until next year. So now a year had passed since that peace treaty, and the Muslims now are, uh, uh, according to the treaty, are allowed to go and perform Umrah. Uh, so the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ took with him 2,000 men, 2,000 men to perform the Umrah, but this time they were fully armed. They were fully armed, and they they were not going to battle or anything. Again, there's a peace treaty going on, but the thing is, they uh, were preparing just in case. You know, they were taking precautions just in case of the Quraysh decides to betray them. And again, it shows you again and again that the Prophet is always seeking the means, even though he knows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to protect him. Now, Quraysh heard that the Muslims uh, gathered 2,000 men and they're approaching Mecca. And they got worried because they found out that they were fully armed and all these things. So they sent a delegation to meet the Prophet right outside of Mecca. So now the Muslims had reached Mecca. They're outside of Mecca. So a delegation from Quraysh went to talk to the Prophet and they basically told him, Hey, uh, Muhammad, we never knew that you were treacherous or a liar. We had a peace treaty here. And what's going on right now? It's, it's, it's alarming. And again, it shows you that even the enemies of the Prophet knew how honest he was. He was not a liar. And he never betrayed anyone, even his worst enemies. Because at this point, Quraysh, they're still enemies. They just have a peace treaty going on. And it shows throughout the, you know, the seerah and the biography of the Prophet ﷺ how honest he always was until the day he died. So the Prophet ﷺ said, it's, yeah, don't worry about it. We're not here to fight you guys. We have a peace treaty, but we're here just in case. We're fully armed just in case. And I will follow the letter of the treaty, which is I will enter Mecca with only the sword, like my personal sword, and that's it. And every Muslim shall follow. So basically, all the Muslims will enter Mecca with only one sword with them. Okay, so what happens to, you know, the the, the bows and arrows, the spears, all the, the rest of the weapons? Again, like I said, they were fully armed. Well, the Prophet ﷺ assigned 200 men to guard those weapons outside of Mecca. So that means... 1,800 will go in, perform Umrah, and then 200 of the 1,800 will come out, 
and then they will swap with the 200 who uh, are guarding the weapons so they can also perform Umrah. So, you know, that way all 2,000 of them will perform Umrah. So they go in and, you know, they start uh, performing the Umrah, the Tawaf, like we said, and they said, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. Now the Talbiya, what is the Talbiya? Is to say, Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik, Labbaik la sharika laka Labbaik, inna alhamda wa na'mata laka wa mulk la sharika laka. Basically, the Muslims, uh, uh, they shout the Talbiya during Hajj and Umrah. And the word Labbaik means, Oh Allah, we're here to answer your call to Hajj, to pilgrimage. Or to Umrah, to pilgrimage in general. So they're saying uh, Tawheed, uh, they say, Allah, you are the only one, that you have no associates of any kind, you know, and all these things. So that is the Talbiyah. And while the, the Muslims were, you know, uh, started to do the, the rituals of the Umrah, rumors spread in Mecca, oh, look at them, they, they look very weak. Again, we're talking about people from Mecca who knew many of the Muslims now, because the Muslims are what Ansar and Muhajireen. So they knew all the Muhajireen, Abu Bakr, Omar, Uthman, Ali, all these people are from Mecca. Their kin and family members are watching them as Muslims coming into Mecca to perform Umrah. So the rumors started spreading, oh, they look very weak. Look at them. I think the weather of Medina does not you know, suit them very well. And uh, again, uh, bad rumors and negative rumors started spreading. So the Prophet ﷺ, of course, heard about it. So he asked them to do this. He said, first of all, when you are doing the talbiyah, raise your voices. Raise your voices. And do not slouch. Have a straight back. You know, walk with honor and dignity. You are Muslims. And you're doing the right thing. Because again, anybody who does Umrah or the, anybody who does Hajj, who were not a Muslim at the time, they're doing it the wrong way because they're basically committing shirk, disbelief. Because they say, and now, and 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 the talbiya, the, the people of Quraysh, the pagans of Quraysh were used to do, used to say what? لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ إِلَّا مَنْ اتَّخَثَّهُ شَرِيكٌ لَكَ They edit the talbiya, because we said the talbiya said, Allahumma, you are the only God. So the pagans of Quraysh, they edited the Talbiya and they said, Allah, you are the only God except for those who you, to, who you take as associates. So they added, they, they added this little you know, phrase, except for those, meaning the, the idols that they're worshipping, except for those who you, you, you took as associates. And this is complete kufr, this is complete disbelief and shirk. So the Muslims are now doing the right thing and the Prophet is reminding them, you know, be firm. Be proud you're doing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had intended for us to do, which is to shout monotheism in front of everybody. So they started doing this and also uh, to show that they're not physically weak. He said, uh, show one of your shoulders, show one of your shoulders to show that you're not skinny and scrawny and weak. Again, this is physical and mental at the same time. And from this, by the way, if you guys uh, know how the Hajj uh, and the people of the Hajj look like, you'll see that the men always showing one shoulder, you know, and this is because of that command by the Prophet ﷺ. Now, so the Muslims, you know, they do the tawaf, they, they finish everything, and they literally stayed there for three days. And Quraysh basically did not want them to stay any longer. The Prophet ﷺ actually wanted to stay any longer because we know how, how the Prophet ﷺ loved uh, Mecca, but Quraysh were like, mm, the deal is a deal, you finished, you guys need to go. And the Muslims left uh, uh, Mecca, and here 
was a big impact. The Muslims walked into Mecca after they were being persecuted as a strong entity. They had a peace treaty, like a strong entity, an independent entity from Quraysh. And they were proud. They were not ashamed. They were strong in character. And they showed, you know, physical strength as well when they, you know, were, uh, uh, you know, straightening their backs and showing their shoulders and all these things. And this is all, you know, uh, psychological uh, uh, tactics that even in today's world, people use it. You know, when you show that you're strong and when you show this actually shows confidence when it comes to debates and all these things. Right. So now the people of Quraysh started saying, wow, they're not weak at all. You know, th- those rumors died. Instantly, those people are not weak. Those people are spiritually strong and powerful and physically as well. And this affected so many people uh, in Quraysh. So many people from Quraysh, they started to see that the Muslims are growing and they're more powerful than ever. Also, we need to mention something very important, which is after the peace treaty with Quraysh, there was peacetime, right? And that was a great chance for the Muslims to spread Islam peacefully. Muslims did not need to go to... Uh, first of all, Muslims didn't were not going to war to spread Islam. They were defending themselves from disbelievers, from pagans who wanted to stop the spreading of Islam. So Muslims now have a peaceful time, calm time to talk to pagans because now... You have Quraysh and the Muslims are actually dealing with one another without war being involved. They're trading with one another. They're buying and selling. It's, it was allowed. So during those transactions and those you know interactions, the Muslims started preaching Islam peacefully. And, and hear this out. This is very important. This is key. Islam spread almost 10 times more during peacetime than at wartime. Again, Islam spread way faster and way wider, meaning, you know, the the perimeters of Islam, way wider. It reached way further tribes during peacetime than it ever did during wartime. Why? Because Islam makes sense. For those who claim, for the Islamophobes who claim that Muslims spread Islam using the sword, using war, using fear, it's completely completely bogus this is completely false claim and baseless claim because history shows that islam spread way more during peacetime why because it makes sense muslims do not need to spread islam by force and allah says that in the quran allah said that i keep repeating this verse for those who, you know, not understanding the implications that Islam never spread. No, there were necessary wars. We talked about all these wars, alhamdulillah, now. But, Allah says, do not force anyone upon the religion because I've shown everyone the truth from falsehood. Now, whether you reject it or not, this is up to you. This is between you and Allah. Do not force anyone into the religion. This is verse in the Quran, in the chapter of Baqarah, the second chapter in the Quran. So now, the Muslims, remember when we said during the, the, the peace treaty, they were about 1,400 men. Jump a few years later when they're about to go to Mecca 
to the conquest. Uh, this is after the Umrah and after everything. During the conquest of Mecca, Muslims were 10,000 men. 10,000 from 1,400. You tell me. The math is talking right now. Muslims were only 1,400 men by the time of the conquest of Mecca, which it was all peacetime, by the way. This was all peacetime. Became 10,000 men. What does that mean? It means that Islam spread way more, way faster during peacetime because it is the true religion. Also, from the lessons we learned from that treaty, the treaty, the peace treaty with Quraysh, the treaty of Hudaybiyah, that we always have to trust in Allah's wisdom. Because Allah said in the beginning, this treaty is a victory, clear victory to you Muslims. But the Muslims, at the, in the beginning, they didn't believe in it. They were still depressed, you know, they didn't even listen to the Prophet when he commanded them, you know, to shave and do all these things. They were depressed. Trust in Allah. When Allah said something, do not question it. Praying five times a day, Allah wants us to pray five times It makes sense. Now we're talking about clear commands. We're not talking about any weak hadith or any. We're talking about what and all the, the authentic hadith and the text in the Quran, It they're all like a clear cut command from Allah. There is no debate about this. It's very easy to find uh, the authentic hadith and it's very easy to find the right interpretations of the Quran. Very simple, inshallah. When Allah tells you something, you listen. Because of what? Here's a very interesting part. And this is actually came from Omar himself. Remember Omar, when he made the mistake of being angry and, and, and going too far? After this incident, after he got angry and after the peace treaty and all these things, he tells us that we have to accuse ourselves, our own understanding of things before we accuse the religion. And this is a lesson for us to learn in this world, right here, right now. Some people have a lot of questions. Why, 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 why did Allah say this? Who are you to question Allah? If you know that it's 100% from Allah, meaning if it's authentic in the Quran or the authentic hadith, do not question it. Yes, Allah gives us enough reasons and enough explanation for us to know that this is the true religion. Now you know it's the true religion? Follow Allah's commands without asking questions. The Prophet used to tell the companions, say we hear and we obey. And it makes sense. Some things might be above our understandings, above our human intellect. Do you really going to have a problem with certain things? Because the religion as a whole, the majority, the overwhelming majority of the religion, the theology makes 100% sense. It's very logical. Very logical. Like I said, Islam spread in, in, in incredibly during peacetime. Certain things are above our knowledge. Certain things are above our knowledge. And Allah made those things so he could test our faith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to spoon feed us everything in, this, in, in, in our religion. Some things are left to our faith and trust in Allah. So accuse your own understanding before you accuse the religion of anything. Also, and here's a very simple equation. You will never know better than Allah. You'll never know better than Allah. Allah knows the ultimate knower of everything. He is the all-knowing. You will never know anything better than Allah. Your wisdom will not even come close to the wisdom of Allah. 
we have a tiny bit fraction of wisdom, those who are actually wise in this world, from Allah. Allah's given us a tiny bit. Allah knows the future. Allah knows the secret. Allah knows what's apparent. Allah knows everything. So you cannot have an opinion in a matter that Allah already has declared his opinion in. If Allah declared his opinion in a matter, you cannot have an opposite opinion or a different opinion because it doesn't logically make sense. Allah is wiser. He's all-knowing. He is Allah and he knows things that you would never understand. So trust in Allah because not trusting in Allah just doesn't simply make any sense. It does not make any sense. You know? Also, one of the, the lessons to learn is that do not act upon emotion. The Muslims were fired up. They were jealous. Remember what happened to Abu Jandal? They were mad and angry. The Prophet was calm. And he did not act upon emotion. And that also teaches us do not, do not act upon emotion. Don't get angry and then do something you would regret. Don't. And don't get too excited that you will do something foolish. That you will also regret in the future. Be calm. Be calculated. Act after you analyze the situation. And this is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ did. Quraysh, they were trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ in every chance they could get. They were trying to kill him multiple, and the Muslims too. And the first chance of a peace treaty came, the Prophet ﷺ took it right away. If that was us, oh, no, 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 they try to kill me. No way. I'm not sitting, uh, you know, with them in the same room. I'm not negotiating with those people. They try to kill me multiple times. But the Prophet ﷺ, and he is the best of mankind. He is the best. If, if there is a crazy, insane crime that is even worse than trying to kill someone, it's trying to kill a prophet and trying to kill the Prophet ﷺ. This is even a like a crazier crime than trying to kill someone. Yet, he didn't say, oh, I'm the prophet of Allah, they try to kill me. No negotiations, no peace treaty. Nope. He took the first chance of a peace treaty because that's how he was as a human being. He was calm, calculated. He loved peace. He did not want to, you know, he did not want war with anyone. But when he had to go to war, he had to go to war and he did not hesitate. And that also shows us that at, you know, certain moments, we need to be firm as well. Now, Let's talk about three important figures in Islam who converted right after, during the peacetime and after the Umrah and after, like I said, the Umrah changed everything now. Muslims look more powerful, more independent, more of a threat to pagans than ever before. And the first uh, figure, the first person is uh, by the name of Amr ibn al-As. Amr ibn al-As was one of the biggest politicians in Mecca. Amr ibn al-As was a huge politician in Mecca. And after the Battle of the Trench, he started to wonder, what if Mecca's next? What if those... Because in the battle, they completely lost. You know, they gathered 10,000 men and they got nowhere, remember? So he started wondering, what if the Muslims conquer Mecca next? You know? So he left Mecca and he went to live in Abyssinia, which is Ethiopia right now. And basically, Abyssinia was a Christian empire. And the emperor, uh, Najashi uh, of Ethiopia, he actually accepted Islam. He, became, he was a Muslim. 
And he was one of the, the only companions who never met the Prophet He never did. He was always, you know, he died in Ethiopia. Right? So Amr ibn al-As wanted to kill uh, one of the messengers. So one time a messenger came uh, to the emperor of Ethiopia from the Muslims. So he's like, again, Amr at the time, he hated the Muslims still. So he wanted to kill that messenger. Now, it's also important to, to, to know that Amr and the emperor were friends. That's why he easily emigrated from Mecca to Ethiopia. So Amr went to Najashi, to the emperor, and he said, how about if we kill this messenger? Just get rid of him. He's going to keep... Now, uh, by the way, Najashi, he did not declare his Islam to his people. So Amr doesn't know that he's a Muslim yet. So when Amr suggested, let's kill the Muslim messenger, the Najashi became so furious. He became very mad. And he literally looked at him in the eye and straight in the eye. And he said, for how long are you going to escape the fact that Islam is the true religion? You're trying to like avoid the idea of Islam. And you are trying to escape Islam when Islam is the truth. Why do you keep fighting it? And of course, that by itself revealed that an Najashi is a Muslim. So Amr was shocked. He did not expect, you know, the emperor of Ethiopia to be a Muslim and to fight, uh, you know, for Islam like that. He was like angry and defending Islam and, you know, telling him you're wrong. So Amr right away said, this religion must be the truth. If it reached that far, I'm running away from Islam to a Christian land to find the emperor of that Christ, uh, of that Christian land preaching Islam to me. How crazy was that? And think about it. He went to Ethiopia because he, he thought Islam would never reach Ethiopia. Then, lo and behold, the emperor himself is preaching Islam to him. So Amr accepted Islam and he you know, decided to go and take the shahada uh, and, uh, you know, in front of the Prophet ﷺ. So he went back to you know, Mecca. So that was uh, Amr ibn al-As. The second figure, which and we talked about him so many times, Khalid ibn al-Walid. Now, Khalid ibn al-Walid, he was raised and trained to be a skilled warrior and a master of the arts of war. This guy was incredible. We know what he did to the Muslims in the Battle of Uhud. And he's actually one of the few men who were able to breach the Khandaq, the trench. You know, in the Battle of the... We didn't mention that during the Battle of the Trench because it was a very brief incident. But he actually was able to cross the trench, go into the city to, to of the Medina in the streets of Medina but then he was surrounded and he had to retreat and escape Medina that was during the battle of the trench Khalid ibn al-Walid is one of the most you know skilled warriors and he was a mastermind leader in a battlefield he he comes from a very wealthy family and uh, well the, one of the reasons why he did not participate in, in the battle of Badr because he was on an uh, expedition but then this is something very, very, very uh, interesting that happened. Khalid himself tells us that every time he fought the Muslims, you know, starting from the Battle of Uhud, the Trench, and all the battles, he felt that there was something supernatural about them. They were being protected by a force beyond this world. He tells us this. And, of course, because it was not very obvious, every time he goes into a battle against the Muslims, he would even that feeling would increase even more. And it just left him very confused. 
And, uh, you know, uh, during the Umrah, when the Muslims were performing Umrah, Khalid ibn Walid decided to leave Mecca, just temporarily, and to, you know, and come back. And the Prophet ﷺ actually asked about him. And he asked, now, Khalid ibn al-Walid's brother, his name is al-Walid ibn al-Walid, the brother of Khalid, his name is also al-Walid ibn al-Walid, and he was already a Muslim uh, since the Battle of Badr. After the Battle of Badr, he was captured as a prisoner of war, and uh, he became a Muslim. And we'll talk about that story in a second, but the, the Prophet ﷺ actually asked about Khalid, and he told Al-Walid, go find your brother. The Prophet ﷺ knew Khalid was a, a big you know, uh, victory. If he becomes a Muslim, it will be a big victory to the Muslims. So he asked, he was curious where he was, but Al-Walid looked for Khalid, he could not find him, so he left him a message. Basically, the Prophet ﷺ is looking for you for how long you're going. The same thing that Amr ibn al-As, you know, uh, faced from the Naja from the emperor, the Najashi, the emperor of, of Ethiopia, Khalid faced from his own brother. Why are you denying the truth? I thought you were smarter than this. I know that you are intelligent. So why are you resisting the idea of Islam? Subhanallah. Now, Al-Walid, let's talk about the story. It's a very interesting story. Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid became a Muslim, like we said. He was a prisoner of war during the after the Battle of Badr. And because he, again, they used to put the prisoners in, 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 in the masjid, in the, in the mosques. And they used to witness the Muslims, you know, dealing with one another, uh, reading Quran. So they used to, you know, hear Quran all the time. And Islam entered his heart while he was a prisoner of war. During this time, now he did not tell every, anybody yet that he, uh, any of the Muslims that he wants to become a Muslim yet, but it entered his heart. So Khalid, his brother, the one we're talking about right now, comes into Medina after the Battle of Badr to offer ransom. And that was a custom when, when a soldier is a prisoner of war uh, with the enemy. If you want to free that soldier, you have to go pay the ransom. And usually the ransom is paid by family members or, you know, loved ones. So Khalid brings the ransom money to the Muslims. And, and that was totally fine, totally okay to take back Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid. So Al-Walid didn't say anything. He let that transaction take place. Khalid paid the money, took Al-Walid, and left Medina. Okay. Then during nighttime, now Khalid noticed his brother was not the same. His brother was not the same. And then during nighttime, they both fell asleep. So Al-Walid packed his stuff and ran back to Medina and he told the Muslims that he is now a Muslim. Now, why did he do that? Why did he hide the fact that he was a Muslim from even the Muslims? For one simple reason. He wanted the Muslims to take the ransom money so they can benefit from it. Look at this. This guy was a prisoner yesterday and he fell in love with Islam so much that he wanted the Muslims to benefit from the ransom money that they were about to receive. Because if he tells them, I'm a Muslim, if he announces his Islam, the Muslims won't take the money. He's a Muslim. They will free him for free. And the Muslims are honorable. They're honest. They won't take the money from Khalid. And because he knew that the Muslims are too honest, he didn't even tell them that he decided to become a Muslim. He let the, transac the, the, the transaction take place. Then later on the next day, he decided to come back and announce his Islam. And he took the shahada in front of the Prophet Also, one of the things uh, that are very, very famous 
about uh, Al-Walid. And Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid is very, uh, he's a, a very uh, courageous man as well, like his brother. He's very brave, like Khalid. Uh, but, of course, at the moment, he's brave, but he's on the side of the Muslims. Unlike his brother, he's brave, and he is with uh, the pagans of Quraysh. So, one time, remember, we said there was a man by the name of Ayesh. We talked about this in the beginning of the emigration who uh, were, uh, they the Quraysh prevented him from emigrating and they held him, uh, capture, he, they captured him and they put him in some sort of a dungeon because they did not want him to emigrate. So after the Battle of Badr and after, uh, you know, the Muslims uh, had gained this confidence from the Battle of Badr, the Prophet asked, who would go to Mecca and bring Ayash? That, that man who always wanted to emigrate and they, the Quraysh stopped him. So Al-Walid said, I'll do it. Alone, going into enemy territory. So the Prophet ﷺ praised Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid and then he, you know, uh, he went uh, to rescue uh, Ayash and he literally didn't know where to, to look for. Like... And he literally did not know where to look for Ayash. Like, he didn't know the location, you know, didn't have maps like now or a satellite, right? So that was a rescue mission that completely was depending on the the bravery of Al-Walid. He was like, I'm just going to scout for him and find him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, helped him immensely because somehow he was able to quickly find where was Ayash? And that was an inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He brought Ayash back without any battles or anything like in a very, you know, like the movies, in a very like uh, uh, stealthy uh, uh, rescue mission, if you want to say. Uh, and then they brought back Ayash to uh, Medina safely. So that is Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid. Now, Al-Walid ibn Al-Walid leaving this message, like for how long are you going to ignore the truth? I thought you were smarter than this. I thought you were an intelligent man. This is Al-Walid telling his brother Khalid. So Khalid leads, reads the message and he said, I think this seals it. I will become, I, I, I've always thought there was something supernatural about Islam and this seals it, I will become a Muslim. Now, Khalid was best friends with the son of Abu Jahl, the worst enemy of Islam, Ikrimah. Ikrimah, they both come from wealthy families and they were both, you know, they, they, they were both uh, uh, childhood friends, actually. They grew up uh, as friends together. So, uh, and remember in the Battle of Uhud, Khalid was leading half of the army and Ikrimah was leading the other half. Remember, uh, Abu Sufyan assigned Khalid and Ikrimah to the, you know, the, the right flank and the left flank of the army. So they are both very prestigious in Quraysh and they are friends. So Khalid tells Ikrimah, he, he goes to him, you know, privately and he says, I think I will convert to Islam and I want to take the shahada. And Ikrimah freaks out. Ikrimah freaks out. And he says, what? After all this, you want to become a Muslim? And Basically, uh, 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 Ikrimah started, you know, panicking and yelling. And he went to the elders of Quraysh, you know, Abu Sufyan and other people, complaining to them, my friend had lost his mind. He wants to become a Muslim. So they all came to talk to Khalid. And one of them, not Abu Sufyan, some uh, other senior, said, it took out his sword and he said, if you convert to Islam, you will have to face this, meaning my sword, meaning death. At this, Ikrimah himself felt weird. He said, you guys going to 
kill Khalid for just thinking to be okay. I get it. It's it's you know a crazy thought, but we're not gonna. He's one of us. You can't kill him. But they ignored Ikrima. So Ikrima realized, okay, I made a mistake by you know talking to the seniors. He started calming them down and he told them, "I'll take care of this. Just go back to your homes or whatever, and I will handle Khalid and we'll convince him to you know to back off on on, on this crazy idea." And at this moment, Khalid decided, I will emigrate. I have to leave. There is no place for me here. I'm not convinced with, with paganism anymore. Islam makes more sense to me. And now my life is being threatened. I'm leaving. And he did indeed leave, but he tried to look for someone to leave with him. And uh, he uh, went and he found Uthman ibn Talha, which is the third person we will talk about today. Uthman ibn Talha, He's a very important character. I'll remind you, we talked about him before. Remember when Ummu Salama, remember we said there was the first family that emig- decided to emigrate from Mecca, the first family that decided to emigrate from Mecca to Medina. It was Abu Salama and Ummu Salama. Of course, that was way before when Abu Salama was alive, before she married the Prophet Salam, And they decided to emigrate with their son, Salama. So Quraysh stopped them. We talked about this when they stopped them. Uh, they basically kicked out or they, because Abu Salama was not from Quraysh. They said, you're out. Umm Salama was from Quraysh. So they basically prevented her from leaving. And the family of Abu Salama came and took the child. Remember, we talked about this whole incident. And eventually, Umm Salama, uh, they felt bad for her. Her uh, you know, family members, they let her go. So she went. She went to the tribe of her uh, husband to take her son from them. They gave her, the tr- they gave her, her son. And then she couldn't get to Medina. She was lost in the desert. She didn't know how to emigrate because Abu Salama at the time was in Medina. So she wanted to emigrate to her husband, to, to Medina. And lo and behold, she finds someone from Mecca, from Quraysh. His name was Uthman ibn Talha. That's the man we're talking about. And we said that he was a complete gentleman. He was very polite. He didn't even look back. So he put her on the camel and her son. And he was holding you know, the strap of the camel, walking ahead. So he wouldn't. He didn't even look or talk to her or anything like that. And it shows that he was a complete gentleman. And he got her safely to Medina. He was a pagan at the time. So he got her safely to Medina and returned to Mecca. So that is Uthman ibn Talha. Now Khalid finds Uthman, Uthman ibn Talha and this, he started telling him about Islam. Uthman immediately is convinced. So he said, I will come with you. So, and by the way, Uthman ibn Talha is the one that at the conquest of we're talking about the, we'll talk about this inshallah in the next episode in the during the conquest of Mecca uh, the prophet ﷺ gives him the possession of the keys of the Kaaba because now the reason why the prophet ﷺ did that because his family Uthman's family were always responsible for the keys of the Kaaba now the Kaaba has a room inside there's the are keys for the Kaaba people used to pray inside of it it's like a, a elite spot to pray inside now, not anymore because the amount of people, it doesn't happen like this anymore. But the Prophet literally gave the possession of the keys of the Kaaba to Uthman. And he said during the conquest of Mecca, the keys, those keys should be with Uthman and his progeny until the end of time. And subhanAllah as a miracle. And again, we're not surprised that up until today, until this day, the keys of the Kaaba are uh, with the progeny or the uh, you know the, the 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 people the descendants of Uthman ibn Talha, until this day this day if you look it up you'll find that you know this is the case. So Khalid and Uthman now are walking outside of Medina. They pack their stuff 
And again, they meet uh, on the way while they're going to Medina. They meet Amr ibn al-As. Remember Amr, the first person we talked about. He was coming back to Mecca to see what he's going to do. He already convinced with Islam. He sees Khalid and he sees Uthman. He's like, where are you guys going? They say, well, we want to become Muslims. We will go and testify, uh, you know, take the shahada uh, in front of the Prophet So Amr said, I will come with you. He just came from Ethiopia and he saw that, you know, two very prestigious people. Again, Uthman was from a very... Uh, big family in uh, Mecca So all three of them go to the Prophet Sallallahu And uh, they uh, decide to take the shahada But before they take the shahada They had one condition And it was a very interesting condition They said, O Prophet of Allah We want to become Muslims Now this is We want to become Muslims But We have one condition So the Prophet said Okay What's your condition? Now think about this for a second. They're about to have the blessings of Islam. Becoming a Muslim is the ultimate blessing in this life. Yet they said we have a condition. And look at the attitude of the Prophet ﷺ. He didn't say, how dare you? No conditions. You are about to be blessed and become Muslims. You, have, you should have no conditions. No. He literally said, what are your conditions? Let me hear it. If it's possible, I'll grant it to you. And that should be our attitude as well. Don't think because somebody converted to Islam that they should be, you know, oh my God, they should give up everything, sacrifice their families, and they should be grateful. Yes, they should be grateful 100%. But we have to understand, people are different. Some people might think, you know, that they need to the incentive to become Muslims, which is fine. The Prophet ﷺ did that with multiple people. It's okay. Be humble. Being a Muslim shouldn't make you feel that you're arrogant. It should make you feel like you're better than everybody when it comes to religion only. You're not better than anybody, you know, in terms of status or in terms in the sight of Allah, you're a Muslim. And we know that if you're a Muslim and you have there is a non-Muslim, you are better in the sight of Allah, unless that non-Muslim becomes a Muslim, then Allah only sees the difference in deeds. How, if you do good deeds, and if you, he or she, they do good deeds, which is you know better and more sincere. This is the only difference, and the only way Allah looks at people. Not by their skin color, we talked about this, not by their status, not by family members. Allah gave us all this. Skin color came from Allah. Wealth came from Allah. Prestige came from Allah. Why would Allah actually look at us from these lens, right? The only thing that Allah is looking at is our deeds. So again, the Prophet said, tell me, what are your conditions? And they said, we want all of our past sins to be forgiving. Look at the beauty of their condition. They're afraid that their sins will follow them when they become Muslims. And to that, the Prophet smiled and he said, didn't you guys hear? Islam wipes out any sin before it. Subhanallah. You have a clean slate as a Muslim, and we know this now. Any And don't take this as a lazy route to say, well, let me wait a little bit to become a Muslim. You know, let me do more sins. Allah, you can't fool Allah. I always say this. You cannot fool Allah. You can't. You might die before you become a Muslim, and really that's not something that you would want. But anyway, so... Uh, 
the basically the last batch of people embracing Islam before the conquest of Mecca. There's one more person we'll talk about during the conquest of Mecca, but they're basically the last batch of you know people to embrace Islam, and this is a great honor. Why it's a great honor? Because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said the people who embraced Islam before the conquest of Mecca are not equal to those who embraced Islam afterwards. لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا. Allah saying لا يستوي منكم. You're not equal. Those who embraced Islam before the conquest of Mecca are in a far greater status. Because why? Because the conquest of Mecca, technically, a lot of people felt that they had no choice. Islam was not going to force them to become Muslims, but either you become a Muslim or you leave. Do your pagan ritual somewhere else. You cannot do it near the Kaaba. So many of them had no choice. So those, and we're talking about Khalid ibn al-Walid, Amr ibn al-As, Uthman ibn Talha, those people... Uh, alongside with the character that we'll talk about, the last, the final person to actually do emigration before literally during actually the conquest. We'll talk about them uh, in, inshallah the next episode. But Allah said those people who embrace Islam before the conquest are far better. But, and look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of the mercy and generosity, ultimate generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at the end of the verse he says, but everyone will be rewarded. Whether you embraced Islam before or after, but embracing Islam before the conquest of Mecca is totally different from embracing it after, but everybody will be rewarded you know, accordingly. Now, this is very incredible because number one, Khalid ibn al-Walid caused so many harm to the Muslims, right? Before he became a Muslim. And after he became a Muslim, the Prophet called him a sword of Allah. One of Allah's swords on earth. Can you imagine? And by the way, the Prophet claiming, giving a nickname, a title to Khalid ibn al-Walid, that means what? That Allah approved it. That Allah agrees with the Prophet. Because if anything else, Allah would have stopped the Prophet from calling Khalid the uh, sword of Allah. That means Allah himself. Can you imagine the honor? One of the worst enemies of the Muslims became a sword of Allah. Saifullah. That's his actually title. The Prophet called him the sword of Allah. You know? And he led the Muslims into so many victories against the enemies of Islam. Afterwards, of course. Amr became a leader of the Muslims later and he technically conquered Egypt. So Egypt is a Muslim country because Amr ibn al-As, the politician, he conquered it during his, he becomes the leader of the Muslims and he conquers Egypt and many other lands. And uh, uh, and here's the interesting part about Amr. It shows you how uh, how how much of a believer he became after he embraced Islam. On his deathbed, he was asking his family members not to leave right away when they bury him. So they asked why. He said, "Just wait." Like, and he gave him like um, an estimate of like twenty to thirty minutes, half an hour, to stay by the graves, and. Why would he say that? Because he did not want to meet the two angels. Remember, we talked about this in the beginning. The two angels, Munkar and Nakir, they will come and they will question every single one of us. The three questions. Who is your Lord? What is your religion? And what can you say about the man who sent you? Even though he was a true believer, Amr ibn al-As, he was scared to 
talked to and we talked about these two angels will be scary but Allah will give strength to whomever he gives strength to and but he said I want to meaning I want to feel your company around me before or while I'm being asked those questions and it shows you the fear that he had of Allah and the consequences of the you know the hereafter uh, also like we said, Uthman ibn Talha became a very, uh, you know, uh, political, uh, a very uh, religious figure. So now you have three, and these three people they represent three sides of Islam: Polit- politics, religion, and military. Khalid ibn Walid is military. Amr ibn al-As politics, and Uthman is the religious face because again he has the keys of the Kaaba. He is the religious representation of Islam when it comes to that triangle of people. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, and, and that teaches you. Some enemies of Islam, once they have their time to reflect upon the message of Allah, they will become Muslims. They will embrace Islam unless they're too arrogant to know, you know, to uh, basically accept the truth. This is a different case. But if they were sincere, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually guide them uh, to uh, you know to islam and to the truth uh, thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh